Obadiah verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. You are greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You that dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, who says in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though you exalt yourself as an eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, thence or from there will I bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, how are you cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of your confederacy have brought you even to the border. The men that were at peace with you have deceived you and prevailed against you. They that eat your bread have laid a wound under you. There is none understanding in them. Shall I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? And your mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed, to the end that every one of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For your violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have looked on the day of your brother, in the day that he became a stranger. Neither should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, you should not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither should you have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither should you have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. So we'll pause there. The next couple of weeks, we want to talk about God's judgment against Edom, and then we'll finish off our study um, looking at the second half of the book, the day of the Lord that's near upon all the nations, and then God's restoration and reestablishment of Israel, his covenant people. So we'll look at that in the weeks to follow, Lord willing. Um, But tonight, we want to look just at verse 1. Verse 1 is actually kind of packed with a lot of information. And what it does is this is Obadiah's introduction to the book. And it really sets the stage for what's to follow. It sets the stage for what's to follow. So we did, we talked about how Obadiah is this vision of Obadiah from the Lord, but it's written against the people of Edom. It's written against the people of Edom. And we talked about that um, quite at length last time. Um, But tonight we've got, here's the outline, just uh, three points. First of all, the first part of verse 1 Just the vision of Obadiah. That gives us the nature of Obadiah's prophecy. We want to talk for a while about that. Then number two is this citation formula. That's the phrase, thus says the Lord, the Lord God concerning Edom. And then number three, we have this enigmatic. Anybody know what enigmatic means? That's not my word. That's a big word. It's mysterious. We're like, kind of, what is that talking about? That's the... That's the last three phrases in the verse. We've heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye and let us rise up against her in battle. So, we're going to talk about what is this mysterious communication at the end of verse 1. And it really sets the stage for the rest of what we're going to see in the book of Obadiah. So, 
First of all, the nature of Obadiah's prophecy. The nature of Obadiah's prophecy. Um, it's kind of interesting. This verse 1 is just, it seems like randomly thrown in phrases. We get, first of all, the vision of Obadiah. A lot of prophetic visions start with this. Um, so this is the nature of his prophecy. It's a vision. But what is a vision? Anybody know? Adrian? Yeah, so God shows it to you. It involves seeing a lot of times. So sometimes it can happen in a dream. Sometimes it's while someone's awake. But it is exactly what you said. It is revelation from God. It's information God is giving to an individual to communicate. So the Hebrew verb, or yes, the Hebrew word, it comes from a verb that means to see, which kind of makes sense. Even we hear that in English. It's a vision. It involves vision. We can see it. So, like, uh, oh, Psalm 27, verse 4, for instance. David says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold, or to look upon, to see the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. That's the root word there, to see. That's the idea. Um, And this word vision is often used to describe a prophetic vision. The prophets, like Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. This is the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. It comes up all over the place. You can look through the prophets and see it. It's a pretty common phrase. Um, And God did frequently reveal his truth through the prophets in the form of a vision. In other words, something that they see. So think like, anybody remember, what's in Isaiah chapter 6? I'll give you a hint. It's a vision. Mr. Peter? Yeah. Yeah. It's Isaiah's vision of the Lord in the temple. And he literally says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he was on his throne. And then the seraphim, remember, they're calling. His train fills the temple. They're calling, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Remember that? But he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Adrian? Very possibly. Yeah. Very possibly. So what we get, we have this vision of Obadiah, and he's getting prophetic revelation from God. Now, the text of Obadiah doesn't give us any specific indication whether it was a vision, as in Obadiah saw this, as in with his eyes God showed it to him, or if it's just prophetic revelation that then Obadiah communicates. Either way, we know He's giving it as a message from God. And we see that in the second phrase. But one more thing. Let's talk about Obadiah for one more second. Um, What did we remember? What did we know about Obadiah? Anything? Very little. What does his name mean? Servant of the Lord. And that's about all we know. And that he's a prophet. One additional thing that we can maybe deduce. So remember... We're in this context of the Babylonian captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar, um, he comes in and he destroys Jerusalem in 586 BC. But that was the third stage 
of captivity for the nation of Israel. That was stage 3, 586 B.C., when Jerusalem and the temple are destroyed. But there were two stages before that. Stage number one, Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem, but then he leaves. He doesn't destroy the city, but he takes some young Jewish boys back to make them into wise men in the Babylonian Empire. Remember that? Do we know anyone who was like a wise man, trained up, but he was a Jew? Daniel, and then his three buddies, right? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, a.k.a. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember them? Those are the guys who were taken captive in stage one. But then Nebuchadnezzar leaves quite a few people at that point. He takes just a small population. Stage number two was around 598 to 597 B.C. Um, About 10,000 of the people are taken then. Remember the prophet Ezekiel? He was taken captive then in about 598 B.C. And that was when um, 2 Kings 25 verse 12. Let me just read that to you. This is describing that stage of the captivity. It says, But the captain of the guard left of the poor of the land to be vine dressers and husbandmen. Vine dressers, that's like um, people who take care of vineyards, grape keepers. What? Field workers, exactly. It's the poor people who get left behind. So, by matter of deduction, if Obadiah is writing this book soon after the third stage of captivity when Jerusalem has been destroyed, the temple's destroyed, and just a very small remnant of refugees are left in the land, what class of people do you think Obadiah might have been from? Exactly. It's a matter of deduction. We don't get that for sure. But it's very possible that Obadiah was from the poor class of people because that's who Nebuchadnezzar left back in the land to keep tilling it and to keep letting the land produce. So I thought that was an interesting fact. Let me know. Search your Bible and see if you can figure anything else out about Obadiah. He's kind of a mysterious character. But now let's look at this second section, the source and target of Obadiah's prophecy. This is in the second portion of verse 1. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. Okay, so from that verse, what would be the source of Obadiah's prophecy? Yeah, the source of this prophecy is from the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God. And then what would be the target? What would be the target? Edom, exactly. Let's see if this will change. There it went. Edom is the target, the audience of the book. Exactly. So, think about it. He says, thus says the Lord God. Um, What does that make you think? If he says, thus says the Lord God, what does that make you think is about to come next? Yeah, the word of God. Like a direct quotation, right? That's kind of what would make sense. If If we took it and we said, hey, John said... Well, then the next sentence typically would be what John said, right? Well, but look at the next phrase. It's not actually yet what God spoke. That doesn't start until verse 2. Instead, it says, we've heard a rumor from the Lord or a report. We'll talk about that. So, Obadiah, it seems like Obadiah is a little out of order. Do you see kind of the, what I'm saying there? Maybe it would make sense to put that down right before verse 2. But Obadiah actually does that as a literary technique. In other words, it's for effect. It makes you pause and go, wait a second. Thus says the Lord God. First of all, it tells us all of Obadiah's prophecy 
the whole book is authoritative because it's from the Lord. But then second, it, um, it's there to surprise the reader, to make you go, oh, wow, uh, Obadiah kind of tricked me. I thought something else was coming next. I better keep paying attention. Does that make sense? He kind of grabs your attention with it. A plot twist, exactly. Yeah, it's like a cliffhanger. Um, so then, oh, we'll skip this, but if you want um, an illustration of this, what they call a citation formula, you can go back to Genesis 32, verses 4 through 7. And that narrative is, remember when Jacob has been overworking for his father-in-law Laban for a really long time, and now his family's grown, he has a lot of stuff, and he's heading back to where his homeland was, and he sends messengers ahead of himself to talk to his brother Esau. It follows this formula of Jacob sends messengers, he gives them a message to give to his brother, they give the message, and then they bring back the report. That's the same formula that we find here. So that could be a fun study. But one thing to notice, does anybody notice anything interesting about the Lord God? How is that maybe uh, capitalized in your Bible? Zach? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so both of them, the first letter's capitalized, but are any other letters capitalized? Colton? Yeah, absolutely. So what you might notice is Lord is capitalized like normal. It's just capital L, lowercase o-r-d. That's the Hebrew word Adonai. It's what our word Lord means. It means he's the sovereign one, the ruler, he's in charge. But then God here is capitalized all caps, capital G, capital O, capital D. That means it's, uh, that's how we translate in English the personal name of God, Yahweh. So he says, the Lord your God, the covenant God, the one who made the covenant with Israel. This is his personal name. That's important. And then his name keeps coming up. In verse 1, it comes up twice. Thus says the Lord God. We've heard a report from the Lord, all caps. And then it's in verse 4, verse 8, and verse 18, talking about this is what God says. And then it comes up again in verses 15 and 21. Okay, so that's interesting. Just Making observations of the text. Go ahead, Mr. Andrew. <coughs> yeah. That's right. So, you see, in verse 1, Obadiah uses God's covenant name, Yahweh, twice in verse 1. That says the Lord God, Yahweh, and then we've heard a report from the Lord, from Yahweh. Yeah. Mr. Peter? Correct. Exactly. So like 
Normally, when you're reading your Hebrew Bible and you come across these four letters in a row, Yod, He, Vav, He, which is similar to our English letters, Y-H-W-H, when you read that, when you see it, instead of reading Yahweh as a Hebrew, you would read Adonai. But sometimes it's used, you can't read, when they actually use the word Adonai, you can't read Adonai, Adonai. So they would read Adonai, Elohim. Elohim being the, name, the word God. That's exactly it. Does that make sense? Kind of just a fun nuance to pick up on. But he's using God's covenant name to help us see something important. And we see that as we work through. God is still keeping his covenant that he made with his people, beginning with Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, and then with Israel at the Mosaic Covenant. We talked about Edom. We talked about his relationship with um, Israel, his brother Jacob. Remember that? Esau and Jacob. Even in the womb there was conflict. And then after that, and it was just a colored history all the way through. So let's talk for a few minutes about this enigmatic, oh, that's a tough word, isn't it? Enigmatic, this mysterious communication. What is this all about? We've heard a report from the Lord, or a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador or a messenger is sent among the heathen, or the nations. Arise ye, let us rise up against her in battle. Is that, does that seem a little mysterious to you? It does to me too. So let's talk about it. Um, it implies a few questions. But let's first, if you've got your Bible, just flip back to the book of Jeremiah chapter 49 for a second. Jeremiah chapter 49. Because um, the book of Obadiah, the book of Obadiah, he, he pulls a lot of material from Jeremiah chapter 49 verses 7 through 22. And right here in Obadiah verse 1, He's pulling some content from Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 14. Look at it with me. Verse 14, I have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent unto the heathen, saying, gather ye together and come against her and rise up to the battle. Does that sound a lot like what we just read in Obadiah 1? Anybody? Yeah, that sounds a lot like it, doesn't it? So what he's doing, that, um, that reads credence or, um, oh, I just lost the word I'm looking for. Oh, what's the word? That's okay. It lends uh, trustworthiness or reliability, credibility to Obadiah's prophecy because he is saying the same thing that Jeremiah prophesied. And Jeremiah and Obadiah would have been largely contemporaries around that destruction of Jerusalem. So that's really interesting to note. And so we, we have this first phrase, we've heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. So a report, it's the word that means like news or a report or a message. It can be a rumor, like a report that's being spread that maybe isn't true. But this message has gone out from God. And who does it say the message has gone to? Who's the recipient of the message? Did you notice this? Okay, Edom. But specifically, this is a different message than Obadiah's vision. Dominic? Exactly. It's gone to the nations or the heathen. It's gone to all these nations, and there's a messenger that takes it. And who the messenger was, we don't know for sure. Um, could have been probably an angel that God dispatches, dispatches to take this message to the nations. But then, what is the content of the message? He says, rise up. Rise up. That's the message. Two words. 
The message says, rise up to the nations. But that's shorthand for what we see in Jeremiah. Remember we read, he says, gather you together and come against her and rise up to the battle. In other words, God is calling the nations to rise up in war against the nation of Edom. Are you following that, Mr. Peter? It kind of reminds me of some movies where at the beginning they'll show you a scene that's really from the end of the story, mm. and then the rest of the movie explains what leads up to that. Yeah, I like that. So that's exactly what is happening here. It's like a flashback. We get this scene from the end of the movie that shows us what's going to happen, and then he launches into it. So God calls the nations and he says, you all rise up and come in battle against Edom. Well, that sounds pretty intense, doesn't it? And then we get the response. That's the end of the verse. They say, let us rise up against her in battle. God had just done this exact same thing to the nation of Judah just years earlier. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 6 God says, for lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, those are the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians to destroy Judah. And now because of Edom's, excuse me, participation in destroying Israel, Judah, now he's raising up nations to destroy them. Do you follow that? The destruction of Edom happens not long after, about 50 years after, in 553 BC, by the last, um, the last king of Babylon named Nabonidus. Nabonidus. And we realize they're destroyed because of their participation against God's covenant people of Israel. Remember the Abrahamic covenant? God says, I will bless those who bless you, but what happens to people who mistreat Israel? God curses them. And that's what Edom receives. Okay, so let's read one more verse and think about it. Let's make some application. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. If you've got your Bibles, just peek back there for a second. We'll read this and think about it for a second and we'll be done. Proverbs chapter 29. Somebody who's there, you want to read it for us? Colton? Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy this you keep the law. Where there's no prophetic revelation, that's the same word, where there is no vision. The people perish, they pass on. The people waste away when there's no revelation from God. But then he contrasts that. Happy is he who keeps the law. The one who loves God's instruction of his word and obeys it. That person has the blessed life. You could cross-reference it with 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19-21. through 21. Peter is talking about, remember when Peter saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus, he's just enshrined in his light, in his glory. Remember that? Peter then says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the day star arises in your heart. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In other words, here's what Peter says. He says, I saw Jesus transfigured in his glory. Compare that to like a prophetic vision. 
Sometimes we might think, oh man, I wish I was like Obadiah and God just spoke directly to me, gave me a vision so that I knew God's real, he's speaking. God doesn't often do that anymore. Have you noticed that? Instead, God has given us even a more sure word of prophecy, namely the scripture. And he says, we do well to pay attention to it. Adrian? Also, I think it would be pretty scary to, to see that. Absolutely. Because he said that it taxed Daniel mm-hmm. to where he would like, sit for a while. Yeah. Just seeing an angel. Just seeing an angel. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So there's the application. As we, as we dive into this book, Obadiah receives this vision. And he talks about how there's a report God has sent out to the nation saying, rise up in battle against Edom. And then the next section, verses 2 through 14, are going to talk about this destruction God's going to bring against Edom for their sin against God's people Israel. But the application for us, Obadiah received this vision. It probably brought courage to the nation of Israel, even though they've been destroyed and they're in captivity They know God is still keeping his promise that those who cursed Israel will be cursed. So we also, we have the privilege of diving into the word of God. It helps us know the way of God. As the Proverbs say, happy or blessed is the one who keeps God's law, his instruction. And we have the privilege of having God's word. We hold it in our hands. I'd encourage you to dive into it, to learn it, to love it. And then to obey it. God says that's the life that receives his blessing. Any other comments as we finish it out here?